Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Uh, open your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians 7. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 7. And speaking of the building, there will be some more detailed updates on finances and the progress of the building tomorrow night at our annual meeting. So um, once a year, we get together as a congregation, just kind of an annual business meeting. That's tomorrow night, 7 o'clock. If you're a visitor to the church or new to the church, you're invited to come. We'd love to have you. If you're a member of the church, you are highly encouraged to come. We will take a look at the budget for 2013. We'll also be electing officers, and so members are uh, eligible to vote on uh, the three individuals who will be on the ballot. We've got two men who are looking for second terms in the office of deacon, Mark Parkinson and Paul Nagelkirk, Paul the guy who, um, the tall guy who was up here just a moment ago. (laughs) And also on the ballot will be Joel Bryan, and he's on the ballot for his first term as a deacon, and there's more information about Joel in the lifeline. So take a look at that before tomorrow night. But members, you will be called upon to vote on these individuals for the office of deacon. Uh, so again, tomorrow night, 7 o'clock. One other thing, uh, yesterday morning <clears throat> we gathered here in the sanctuary to receive from an organization called Teamwork for Quality Living training on poverty awareness, uh, just some instruction on how to understand better those who are in poverty and uh, kind of the way they think and the challenges they deal with. And this was primarily for leaders of various churches in Mount Pleasant Township. We have kind of a, uh, an outreach team of people from a number of different churches, and we're trying to combine our efforts so that we can be a blessing to our community. So yesterday's training was for the leaders of those churches. On February 23rd, the last Saturday of the month, We will offer more training for all of the rest of you, um, as well as members of other churches in Mount Pleasant Township. So just want you to get that on your calendar, February 23rd. You're all invited to come. It's free of charge, uh, but very effective and instructive training, February 23rd. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is our text. If you have that, please rise. For the reading of God's Word, I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 9. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, and then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of of self-control. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, 
they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Father, would you please open our eyes and give us ears to hear as your word is preached. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, we are continuing uh, through our Q&A sermon series. This is something we've done about every year for the last five or six years where I've taken questions from the congregation seeking to answer those questions from the pulpit in uh, various sermons. And I want to show you kind of where we've been and where we're going with this series. We started last week, so this is the second sermon in that series. And uh, last week we sought to answer this question, how should a Christian relate to digital technology? So we uh, looked at the cultural mandate and what it instructs us about how we relate to technological development, and we particularly considered the advent of the internet and smartphones and just how, as Christians, we should relate to that. If you weren't here and want to hear that sermon, it's on the web at our website, New Life website. You can head there and, uh, and hear that message. Next Sunday, I'll be seeking to answer this question, what does God think of sports? Um, this actually was a question submitted. I didn't make this up so I'd have an excuse to preach about sports. This was a question, and um, we'll, uh, we'll see what the Word has to say about this. And that will be on Super Bowl Sunday, so very appropriate. And by the way, we will have uh, a pitch-in meal and get-together next Sunday night to watch the game. And you're all invited to, to join us. I think it's 6 o'clock, 5.30, something like that. Check Lifeline for, for the time, but that will be next Sunday evening. Um, and then the following Sunday, February 10, does Israel have a legitimate claim to the land? There's just a lot of promises in the Old Testament about God's people having a right to the land. And so how does that apply today? Does Israel still have a right to the land? And how should we think about that? So um, I will do my best to be clear about what the Scriptures say about that, February 10. Today, uh, the question is this. <clears throat> how does one live as a single person to the glory of God. How should single people live in a fallen world, particularly Christians, Christian singles, how should they live in obedience to God? Uh, when we think of single people, you might think primarily of the kind of people we have here in, in this service, that is young college students, certainly they qualify as single, but the class of single people uh, is larger than that. Uh, this would include people who are divorced, uh, older people who have never married for one reason or another, uh, young adults, people who are maybe recently out of college and are still looking for a spouse, uh, includes widows, widowers, and even people who are in serious relationships, maybe not yet engaged, but very serious and thinking that this might be the person that you're going to marry, but nonetheless, you're not married, which means you're still single. So uh, this covers a lot of people. In fact, statistics say that 46% of the U.S. population above the age of 15 years old is single, almost half the population. And as most of you know, we have quite a few single people here at New Life. And so this is uh, an appropriate and good question for us to talk about. And my own story is, is this. I've been married for a little more than 18 years but I did not get married until I was 30 years old. So I went throughout all my 20s being single. Uh, my wife did not marry until she was 35 years old. So yes, my wife is five years older than me. Uh, 
I look five years older than her. I understand that, but she is actually five years older than me. So uh, we both know what it's like and remember very well what it's like to be single. And we remember that it's not easy. Uh, I remember the various pressures of being single, seeing friends get married and you know, being happy for them on the one hand, but then feeling bad about why that wasn't happening to me. And I remember the fear and insecurities that I had about whether I would ever be married and being convinced on some occasions that it, it just wasn't going to happen for me. And I remember the, the awkwardness of dating and trying to figure out who to ask out and how to ask them out and how to break up if it doesn't work and all that discomfort. And I remember, too, the, the pressure that sometimes comes from other people to hurry up and that vague feeling you get that people are kind of looking at you wondering what's wrong with you, that you're not married yet, particularly as you get into your mid, late 20s and older. And in our world today, pressures can come from actually very different sources. If you're more from a kind of conservative, traditional group, maybe a church, you might feel that pressure to get married. And in some cases, in traditional settings, there can be an over-desire for marriage. There can be this this suggestion that you're not really complete until you get married. There can be this suggestion that marriage is the ultimate goal and uh, source of fulfillment. So in traditional circles, sometimes marriage can be over-desired, but in secular circles, sometimes marriage can be under-desired. And this is actually very prevalent today where Um, A lot of studies are showing that people are a lot less likely to get married today than they have been in the past. And for some people, there is just um, uh, concern that marriage is kind of an obstacle to achieving life goals, that marriage limits your options. And so it's better to just kind of get all your goals out of the way and accomplish before you get married. And uh, uh, that message can be sent, that, that marriage is just not that important and is sometimes under-desired. So singles today can be kind of in between, sometimes those two competing pressures. So all this to say, it's, it's not easy, not easy being single. 1 Corinthians 7 is a passage in the Scriptures that addresses singleness uh, quite explicitly, actually. So it's appropriate that we're in this passage. A little bit of background, here's what's going on here in 1 Corinthians 7. This is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul. And Paul is writing this letter to the church in a city called Corinth. And Corinth was a very um, pluralistic, wealthy, artsy, cosmopolitan city in Greece. It's very much like any kind of major United States city that you might see today, New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, very up-and-coming uh, city, And as it is the case that in a lot of large progressive cosmopolitan cities there's a lot of sexual immorality, that was the case in Corinth. It was a place where sexual immorality was rampant. And so Paul is writing this letter to a church in Corinth dealing with those kinds of pressures. And as you see here in verse 1, it says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, what Paul is doing here is writing this letter in response to a letter that was written to him, where the Christians in Corinth were asking questions and expressing concerns, particularly about marriage singleness in a uh, sexually charged culture. So that's the background. 
for 1 Corinthians 7, and I'm going to show you three things from this passage, and the first one is, is this. It can be good to be single. It can be a good thing for you to be single. In fact, you look in the Bible, and there's actually some examples of some very godly people who were single. Joseph, Daniel, John the Baptist, Jesus, and throughout church history, we know people like C.S. Lewis, who spent the majority of his life single. There was a short time when he was married, but mostly he was single. John Stott, one of the greatest evangelical theologians of the 20th century, spent his life as a single man, died uh, just a few years ago, I think in his mid to late 80s, so spent a long time as a single man. Well, another one in the Bible here who was single was Paul. Paul was single. If you look at verse 7, he says, I wish that all were as I myself am. Now, what's he referring to? How, how is he? What is the condition that he is in? And you see that in verse 8. He says, To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. I wish that all were as I am, single. And there's this affirmation that it is good for people to be single. Now, there's some debate about whether Paul was always single. He's obviously single here, but he might not have been single all his life, actually, because Paul used to be a rabbi, and a lot of scholars believe he was a member of the Sanhedrin. It would have been highly unusual for a rabbi of that stature in that culture to have been single. So it's likely that Paul might have been married. He's not married here. He's single, so that suggests that uh, his wife... If he had one, passed away, so he might have been a widow, widower. Uh, or it could be that when Paul was converted to Jesus on the road to Damascus in Acts 9 and decided to make this cut with his past commitment to Judaism and came to embrace Jesus as his Savior and to commit himself to planting churches and preaching the gospel, it could be that his wife said, I, I'm not interested in that, and might have left him. So... This is all speculation, admittedly, so we don't want to go too far with that. But given Paul's past as a rabbi, uh, it wouldn't uh, be surprising to learn that he was married. But one thing we do know is that Paul, as a single man, is not single because he feels that he has to be single. He's a leader of the church. Uh, He's a pastor. He's single but not because he feels like he has to be. Look at 1 Corinthians 9. He says, Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles? He knows he has a right to marry. And so the Bible gives us no indication that pastors or priests should be single. That's that's not scriptural. If they choose to be single, that's good, but it it is not... um, mandated by Scripture. Well, Paul goes on here to say, not only is it good to be single, but but he takes it a step further, and he actually says it's not just good, it's a gift. He talks about singleness as a gift. Look at verse 7. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. So Paul is saying that God gives gifts to all Christians, gives different gifts to different people. To some, he gives the gift of marriage, and to others, he gives 
the gift of singleness. He considers for some singleness to be a gift. Now, now why, would, why would he think of it in those terms? I think we get a clue about that if we go later in the chapter of uh, chapter 7, and it's on the screen here also, where Paul says in verse 28, those who marry will have worldly troubles. And then later on, he says, uh, the husband <coughs> is anxious about many things about how to please his wife, and the wife is anxious about many things about how to please her husband. And so what Paul seems to be saying here is not that marriage is bad, but that marriage does bring with it other responsibilities, difficulties, even troubles, he says in verse 28, that can distract a person from full and complete devotion to kingdom interests. And to some people, God gives this gift of singleness to kind of free them up, to remove distractions. So if you are single, you know, there are opportunities for you that not all married people have. There are opportunities to go on mission trips, for instance, and even extended mission trips. There's opportunity for you to give uh, uh, further time and devotion to your church. There's opportunity for extended times in the scriptures and reflection and solitude and contemplation and prayer that might otherwise be interrupted by a, a busy family life. There are opportunities to, you know, perhaps be a foster parent or perhaps adopt children. You don't need to feel obligated to do that. Don't feel guilty if you don't do that, but single people have certain freedoms. Single people given the gift of singleness have certain freedoms to engage in those kinds of ministry activities, and that's what Paul seems to be saying here. To some, singleness is not just good, but, but it's a gift. Now, you might be saying, singleness doesn't seem like a gift to me. <laughs> Seems more like a curse, actually, and um, that, that's that's understandable. As I said, I, I know what it is to be single, and I know how hard it can be. But here's something I, I did before this message: is I wrote to a number of single Christians that I knew and asked them to comment <clears throat> um, on some questions that I asked them about being single. And one of the things that surprised me is how much these single people affirmed their contentedness and happiness as single people. So here's what one person said. I asked, what do you wish married people in the church understood about what it's like being single? And this person said that there's nothing wrong with being single and that it should be honored as a calling just as being married or a parent is a calling. It is not a condition that needs to be fixed. Others introduce you to someone who would be just perfect for you, and that can come across as belittling to the single and presumptuous of the speaker. Such offers should be made with care. Uh, this person goes on, I asked, what kinds of misconceptions about singleness are being portrayed in our culture? And this person said, one misconception is that there's something wrong if you're single and not dating or actively looking for someone. The, the conception that you're not happy or complete or have a fulfilling life without having a significant other. This person seems that is a misconception of this person's experience, anyway, about being single. 
Somebody else says this, just because I am single does not mean I am desperately searching for someone. I want to have a spouse, but please don't make that your first question when you ask how I am. One other person said this, women everywhere think it's their job to say, oh, of course you'll get married. I don't find that helpful one bit. I don't like the phrases, your husband and when, as if when you find your husband and when you get married. Those statements just highlight how abnormal I sometimes feel. I'm not saying that I will never get married, but I would like to have the permission to be content in my singleness. Some people see singleness as a good thing. And I can see how it would be offensive if they get the impression that there's something wrong with them, something abnormal. Now, you know, there are some bad reasons to be single. Some people are remaining in their singleness because of immaturity and because they, they don't want to take responsibility for everything. They have a, uh, an unhealthy fear of commitment. You know, I mean, th- those can be negative obstacles to being married. Um, but for some people, those things aren't present, and... Singleness is a good thing, and they are rejoicing in it. And we should recognize that and not be quick to make the suggestion that marriage is for everyone. So it can be good to be single. That's pretty clear here in this passage. But Paul goes on to say also that it can be difficult to be single. This is not saying anything new to anybody here, but we need to tease this out. What does this mean? Uh, In what ways is it difficult to be single. Well, in verse 2, <clears throat> Paul talks about this temptation to sexual immorality. Because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. So Paul is saying that for single people, the temptation to engage in sexual immorality is going to be present. So one of the ways to solve that is to get married. <laughs> and once you get married, you should be engaging in sexual relationship relations. So in verse 3 through 5, Paul actually goes into some detail about that and commands married couples to have sex with each other. Did you know that was in the Bible? <laughs> it is. And we're not going to go into detail on that. This is a sermon about singleness, not about marriage, but married couples. Uh, you, should, you should receive that. This is one of the best ways to guard even married couples from sexual immorality is to uh, engage in regular sexual activity. But the problem still remains. There are single people who don't have the gift of singleness. They're not married yet. And so the temptation to sexual immorality remains. And then in verse 9, very similarly, Paul talks about the, exor- the, uh, the exercising of self-control. He says, if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. Self-control, that is the, the controlling their, their passions. For it is better, he says, to marry than to burn with passion. Actually, that phrase, with passion, is not even in the original Greek. It just says uh, better to marry than to burn. And so there is some debate about what actually Paul means here. Some people think that Paul is talking about burning in hell, suggesting that if you can't restrain your sexual desires and you engage in sexual immorality that you're going to go to hell for that. I think that's a poor interpretation. There's nothing in the context of this passage that suggests that that's what Paul is saying. 
Clearly, he's talking about temptation to sexual immorality. It is better to marry than to burn with passion or to burn with lust. So Paul is saying, here's one way to deal with that. Find a spouse and get married. And so if you're asking yourself, how do I know if I have the gift of singleness? Very legitimate question. Hard to answer, but legitimate question. Um, If you cannot see yourself being able to maintain sexual purity throughout your life, if you don't think you can maintain self-control with the passion that is burning inside you, that's a good indication you probably don't have the gift of singleness and ought to pursue marriage. But here's one, one way that I think singles can engage well in this battle against the temptation to sexual immorality and in the battle to maintain self-control. That is, to be committed to, involved in, intimately connected to a church where you are surrounded by other Christians who know you and know what you're doing and are asking you good questions and are loving you and holding you accountable. You separate yourself from a community, it heightens the temptation to engage in sexual immorality. The church should be a place where you receive the grace and help to maintain purity. And I'm uh, sorry to say that I think the church has not always been as helpful in that regard as we should have. Uh, And in fact, something else that I discovered as I heard from these single people that I talked to is that the church actually can be a difficult place to be as a single person. And so here's, uh, here's what one person said about that. I feel lonelier at church than any, than other places. I feel lonelier at church than other places because most people come in a group. Sometimes on Sunday mornings, I have a hard time approaching other people because they have their whole family around them, and I think, why would they want to talk to me when they have their husband and and their kids to talk to? Now, this is not to make families feel guilty. This is not suggesting that you all need to drive in separate cars when you come to church so as not to offend singles. That's that's not the point. Um, Don't feel guilty about being married. Be glad that you're married. If you have a, a wife and a happy family, be grateful to God for that. But this just helps you get inside the heads of single people and the struggles that they have when they come to church. Uh, Somebody else said this, I wish people in the church understood that singles want to be included in the regular social and church activities. Often people in the church don't want to invite single people to events or activities that involve couples and families because they worry that the single person would feel uncomfortable. But that tends to only lead to those of us who are single feeling excluded. It's a single person wanting connection, wanting to be part of the community. Uh, Here's somebody else who says this. Churches are family-focused, and it is typically in the church where I have been more aware of my singleness than anywhere else. This person goes on to say, if a single person visits our church for the first time, it's very important to reach out to him or her. To venture into a new situation all by yourself is much harder than it would be for a family. I mean, you know how hard it is to try to find a church and walk into a situation with a bunch of people that you don't know? How much harder is that for single people? And so, you know, we need to be sensitive to all the new people who walk through the doors of this church, but I would say let's be particularly sensitive to the single people um, who are trying to find their way in a new environment. So, families... 
let me just ask you, what, what can you do to be more sensitive to caring for the needs of single people in this church? Think about that. Pray about that. Um, so that's my exhortation to the church, but now I've got exhortations to the single people as well. Um, given the difficulty of living the single life, given what Paul has told us here about the temptation to sexual immorality and the difficulty of maintaining self-control, these things I have uh, for you. And the first is this. Singles, beware of the temptation to commit yourself to an unbeliever. Beware of the temptation to get emotionally tied up or to commit yourself in marriage to an unbeliever. Scripture says this, 1 Corinthians 7, later in this very chapter, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, but only in the Lord, he says. In other words, only a Christian should a Christian marry. 2 Corinthians 6, also more commonly used verse on this topic, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness. Friends, if you're a Christian, that means you're a new creation in Christ. That means your life is defined by your relationship to Jesus Christ. You are called to serve Him, not just on Sunday morning where you reserve this time for your religious activities. You're called to be serving, following His lead seven days a week, 24-7. That's what it is to be a Christian. Jesus is your defining identity in this world. And if you marry somebody who doesn't understand Jesus, there's no way that person is going to understand you. And the result of that is either going to be tension, constant ongoing tension in your married relationship, or there's going to be this temptation to just grow cold in your relationship to God and just kind of let your commitment to God go by the wayside in order to maintain peace in the marriage. I mean, those are two likely results of being married to an unbeliever. So beware of that temptation, as hard as it is, particularly as you get older, you haven't met a good Christian, and you just feel like, I'm just going to go for whatever I can find. Uh, Please, beware of that temptation. Another good reason to be involved in a community with people who can help you with that. Secondly, be prepared to flee from sexual immorality. Uh, You knew that I was going to say that at some point, but I just want to be clear about it. Uh, Do you want to know what the will of God is for you, single people? Here it is. This is the will of God. Your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Again, I'm aware of how hard that is. We live in such an incredibly highly charged sexual culture. And yet this is the clear teaching of Scripture. Let me read you one more quote. This was uh, from a single person commenting on on this struggle. And the person says, um, non-Christians that I work with are fine with the fact that I'm single, but they're not fine with the fact that I am single and celibate. They seek to find reasons or methods for me to free myself from my celibacy. They couldn't or didn't want to understand that my celibacy made me free. 
and that acting on sexual desires would have made me a slave. Those are very wise words from a young single person who is dealing with uh, the difficulties that are expressed here uh, in this passage. So, singles, be prepared to flee from sexual immorality. The last thing is this. Be content with your singleness. Seek contentment in your singleness. I, I don't mean by that don't seek to be married. I don't mean that, you, that, that, you, that if you're single you have the gift of singleness. I, I'm saying be content with your singleness because you know what? The best way to prepare yourself to be a good spouse is to be content with whatever situation God has placed you in right now. And that's also the best way to make you attractive to someone in the opposite gender is to be content and Paul mentions this here, 1 Corinthians 7. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. Now, again, I don't think he's saying don't seek to be married. I think he's just saying in this situation, if you're not married, don't be making this the main goal of your life. Be content in whatever circumstance God has placed you. He says it again here in Philippians 4. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And this is instruction for all of us, whether you're single or married or looking for a better job or wanting to get out of school or whatever it is. One of the hardest things to do, but a call on all believers in Christ to seek contentment in your situation. Single people, I want to tell you, marriage is not the answer to all your problems. And in some cases, it might be the beginning of your problems. And if you're not content as a single person, it is highly unlikely that you're going to be content as a married person. Now is the time to work on contentment. Well, one last thing to share with you, uh, and hopefully this comes as some comfort to those of you who might still be feeling, as a single person, a little bit abnormal, kind of like you're on the outside looking in, you don't really fit in, there's no place for you. Uh, You just feel odd and out of place. But here is what I think we can say about the future of the Christian. One day, all of God's people will be single. Look at the flow of redemptive history. If we go back to the very beginning and we look at where everything is headed, here's what we see. I have a chart on the screen here for you. Look look what uh, what we see here. Singleness. At the point of creation, when God made Adam and Eve and put them in a garden, there is no singleness. You have Adam and Eve who are married. And in the beginning uh, um, eras of creation, we don't see singleness. Now, as the Old Testament develops, we see some people who are single, but it's very uncommon, and it's actually undesirable as well, singleness in the Old Testament. When you get to the New Testament, we have singleness actually being affirmed. That's what we just saw. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it's pronounced to be a good thing. When we get to the final state, when Jesus returns again and ushers in the new heavens and the new earth, singleness becomes universal. And by contrast, when we look at marriage in creation and the Old Testament and the New Testament, marriage is the norm, but in the final state, there is no marriage. Did you know that? Look at what... Jesus says, Matthew 22, he's having a debate with Pharisees, Sadducees, who are asking him a question about uh, who uh, a woman would be married to if she had a bunch of husbands and they all died. 
And he responds and says, you're wrong because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God, for in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now, why would this be the case? Why would there be no marriage in heaven? And to understand that, we've got to think of the purpose of marriage. The purpose of marriage is partnership, it's pleasure, it's procreation. But another purpose of marriage is that marriage would be a picture of the gospel. Married people, if you want something to kind of revolutionize, transform your view of your own marriage, think of this. The primary purpose of your marriage is to be a walking, talking illustration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As husbands are commanded to love their wives as Christ loved the church, Ephesians 5, and wives are called to love, respect, submit to their husbands as the church loves, submits to Jesus, your, your marriage is, a, is an illustration. It's a picture. Husbands, you are commanded to love your wives in a way that would reflect the way Jesus has loved you and loved the church. That is a very high calling. The way husbands relate to wives and the way wives relate to husband, husbands sends a message to the observing world of what you really believe and think about the gospel. That, that's, that's a challenge. But that's what Ephesians 5 says says. But when Jesus comes again and gets ready to usher in the final state, we will see him face to face. We will have every tear wiped away. We will have finally met, as Isaiah 54 described to us, our husband, Jesus, our spouse. We will have finally found the one we've been looking for. That's going to happen in the final state. And at that point, therefore, marriage will fall away, having served its purpose of pointing to the gospel. Now, this is in no ways seeking to devalue marriage or mitigate it. I mean, maybe this is a little bit disturbing for you who have really good marriages and you love your spouse and you think, I'm going to be separated. I don't know if you're going to be separated from your spouse. I think you'll probably know your spouse. Um, to be single in the final state is not to be lonely. I don't mean that. I mean that everything you're looking for in marriage will be fulfilled and find its culmination in your relationship with Jesus. Marriage is good, but it's secondary to the gospel. And your completeness, friends, your wholeness is not found in meeting the right spouse. It's found in meeting the right Savior. And Jesus is that Savior. And until that day comes, until that final state, when Jesus returns, married people, single people, together, we're all in the same boat. Single people, often discontent in their singleness. Married people, often discontent in their marriages. So until Jesus comes, we say together, we sing together as we're about to sing. We say, I'm so glad that I've learned to trust Thee, precious Jesus, Savior, friend, and I know that He is with me. And will be with me to the end. That's, that's our hope. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we ask that you would bless the marriages of this church. We ask that you bless the single people in this church.
Father, I, I pray that uh, you would protect singles from being discontented and bitter, protect them from sexual immorality, and help us as a community of believers to love and care well for them until the day when you return for your bride. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.